Hey, what's up, friends? Mike Myers here with the Songwriting for Guitar podcast, episode number 14, Shelly Pikin. Now, Shelly is a multi-platinum, two-time Grammy-nominated songwriter. She has written for Brandy, Christina Aguilera, <laughs> Meredith Brooks. She has a book called Confessions of a Serial Songwriter. We talk about her start in songwriting, her move to L.A., what that looked like, and how songwriting and songwriters are adapting to this new culture of social media. So here we go, episode number 14, Shelly Pikin. I mean, your your record, you're a multi-platinum songwriter, two-time Grammy nominee. You have a book that's called, I love this, Confessions of a Serial Songwriter. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you feel like songwriting is just something that was in your blood from the beginning? I think I sort of discovered it on the way. Music was speaking to me, and if it didn't have words, I was always coming up with words that could go with music that needed yeah. or that I thought needed. I don't know. It just spoke to me. And um, I was always writing songs, I think, when I was even little as therapy before I realized it could be a profession. Didn't go to college for it, but always ran up to the the music building and locked myself in a room and, and wrote songs. And it wasn't until I got out of college that I realized that there were people out there that were making a living as songwriters and not necessarily recording their own songs. These were songs that other people were recording, which was wild to me because I always thought that everybody I heard, everybody, every song I heard on the radio was written by whoever sang it. And that yeah. was true. And it's just like, wait a minute, there are other people that write that for write other the songs. songs. Right. Now, what what when you were saying you were you know as you were growing up you were writing songs were there particular bands and artists that you gravitated towards in your writing? I you know I loved women singer songwriters well not just women I loved um, well I loved Carly Simon um, I appreciated Joni Mitchell but I didn't really identify as much with her songs as I did with someone like like let's say Carly Simon who was sort of a confessional writer. She looked within herself and examined her inner workings and wrote about them. And Carol King, who I adored as well, um, loved James Taylor, loved Billy Joel, loved Hall and Oates, and I loved the Eagles. I loved bands, Crosby, Stills, Nash. I loved Cat Stevens. And, you know, the songs were just so music then. I think, well, songs were just, so much more than about going to clubs and hooking up and, you know, I mean, we still, and we'll always write about love. I mean, whose yeah. subject isn't it a favorite of, but there was so much more back then. You could write about a ladybug. You could, you could write about a dog or a frog. You know what I mean? I mean, there were songs about these things that were hits and I feel like our um, our range of vision, our boundaries have shrunk. You feel like it's it's now limited a little bit. We're no longer thinking like, oh, it could be this, but it's like, no, no, no. Yeah. It can only be about these three things. Well, it can be about much more, but I think yeah. I think this thing called algorithms has changed the psyche of songwriters. And my profession has been half of my soul because I had to 
the money wouldn't have mattered. But because I had to make a living, income mattered. So half of it was for my soul and half of it was for my wallet. But now I think when young people sit down to write, the algorithm is is just king. And the, it's always measuring what your music sounds like. Does it sound like something that's already big? Does it sound like something that's already successful or on the radio? And if it does, you get put in front of the queue or you get heard, um, you fit into a box. So I think people are just less brave about being unique um, because we're, we have to consider algorithms if we want to get played. Shit, we're four minutes in. You're laying down some truth. And you're, just like, you're just like, you're just like, how about this? So let's backtrack. So you're talking about music now. Let's move back to like at the very beginning. So as you were getting into this, so you graduate college and you start getting into songwriting. Right. What was that world like for you? What was the appeal and the draw? Where you, you know, you're in New York, you're kind of like right. in these clubs. What are you finding? I wasn't in the clubs. I was waiting tables, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it took a long time. Um, you know, I just, I, I always, I studied something different in college and I just always came back to, to that passion that I, I was just always writing songs. And when I, when I came to New York to get a job in the field that I studied, which was fashion design and fashion merchandising, I, I wasn't so in love with the culture. And I thought, you know, you only live once and I fell into, um, I saw advertised in what was called a newspaper. You probably are too young to know about those things. <laughs> but there was, I saw in like the, the the ad section, there was this ad for a songwriting group. It was just a group of songwriters that met in the back room of this bar in Midtown Manhattan every week. And I thought, oh my God, that's my, that's my planet. Like, who are these people? I had never met a songwriter before college, Mike. Because there was no YouTube, there was no social media. Nobody was writing their own songs unless they were, you know, signed by a major label. We they we weren't there weren't as many of us. We were very under the radar. Yeah. And I went to this group and I walked into a room with all these people that were just like me. And I and it was amazing. And I felt like I landed on my planet and found my tribe. And I befriended them and they said, you know, dude, you could, you could make a living doing this. You've got to write songs. You, we, we demo them. We, we pitch them. We send them to labels and they took my hand and they brought me down to Bleecker street and showed me all the, the bitter ends and Kenny's castaways and CBGB's all these places where you could walk into on a Wednesday with your guitar or sit at their piano and get 20 minutes to work out your stuff. And I just thought, this is my life. This speaks to me. It resonates. I'm happy while I'm doing it. I'm excited. I'm motivated. I'm inspired. And I just said to my dad, you know, thank you for my college education. I got so much more out of it than just my schoolwork. Yeah. And I don't want to do what I studied. And so I'm going to take this waitressing job and I'm going to keep writing songs and playing out. And that's what I did. I waitressed at the Grand Hyatt in New York on 42nd Street, that glass structure that sticks out over the street. Yeah, I've been. <laughs> it, it was just built. They hired 
13 young women. I had had waitressing experience from college and I waited tables there for four years and found all these groups, these songwriter groups, which they don't really have anymore. And we could talk about that too and why. But after four years, the hotel had a, a, a cocktail lounge in the back with a piano. And the guy that played that piano bar was leaving. And I had my eye on that. I thought <laughs> if I could get them to hire me to play that piano bar, um, I could stop waitressing, work half the hours, make more money and be in the music business. And so I said to them, look, I've been waiting tables here for four years. I'm a good employee. I want that job. And they said, I'll tell you what, go find another piano bar job and we'll come hear you and suss out if we think you're good, for, you know. Yeah. They didn't take me seriously. They're like, oh, so wow. have to play the piano. Yeah. And that's what I did. I got a job around the corner at a piano bar and they came to see me about twice and said, okay, you're in. So that was my first job in the music business. I worked from cocktail hour, four days a week from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. So I had the whole day free and I was yeah. back home in my apartment at 8.30, ready to party. And um, I don't know, that really, really put a fire under me. It just was a sign from the universe saying, ask for what you want, follow your muse, do what excites you, and the universe responds in kind. And especially when you said you were, you know, as you were in school, you were like this, it's almost like this isn't my tribe. I can't get with them right now. I'm not, you know, I'm not feeling what in, in their passion or the group. I just can't. But then you meet with these songwriters and suddenly you're like, well, shit, this is it. Right. I, I found they're speaking my language. Right. Uh, they're taking me under their wing. I'm learning so much. And it's, you know, this is something I can do. And also, too, I feel fulfilled. Like, I'm right. like, this is what I'm meant to do. Right. So this is my you, yeah. How do you bridge that gap? So then you're doing this, you're working cocktail hour and you're writing songs and you're, you're networking, you're built. I mean, what would be networking, you know, songwriters, that's what you got to do. You're meeting with people. And then how do you make that jump to eventually over time being a multi-platinum songwriter? Oh gosh. I got to tell you, Mike, I, <laughs> uh, it was one foot in front of the other without a plan. There was no plan and you can't plan this stuff because think about the things in your life that you're planned. Did they actually go as planned? Even if they happened, did they veer off in a different direction? Did they happen a year later? You know, they never go as planned. It's good to have fantasies and to imagine and to see it and to have this vision and to taste it, Yeah. But to know exactly how it's going to happen and to plan it out is futile. You know, I just, I knew it would work out. I just kept writing. But to be honest, when I was coming up in the business, it wasn't that it was easy to make a living as a songwriter, but it was more possible. In current times, if you want to be a songwriter, you could be a songwriter, but the chances of you actually earning a living and not having to have a second job are just... <laughs> <laughs> way less possible than it was when I was coming up. And here's why. Okay. I wasn't living in a digital digital universe and any song that came out on an album that I wrote 
and I'm sort of skipping how that even happened in the first place, but let's say you you got a couple of album cuts, which today would earn you nothing because it's digital. Nobody's streaming that stuff. You're earning crumbs even on the hit. But every album that sold back then, a physical copy, it was called a mechanical, mm-hmm. earned a songwriter nine cents. If they wrote the whole song and published the whole song, which was unusual, but let's say you did, because... I did. And I didn't have a publishing deal and I wrote a lot on my own. So if an album sold a million copies, which was not unusual, and you wrote a whole song, you earned $90,000 on that album. And it was never even a song that was on the radio. So if you had a few songs on a few albums, even if you co-wrote them or wrote them with three people, you can make a living. And I was living in New York City. You could make a living. You could sustain yourself. You didn't have to have a second job. But when streaming became the new business model, the mechanical royalty went away. And there were no laws, only regulation for what would happen when a song was streamed. And so now, whereas a million records were sold and you could make dollars $90,000, on a song that streams a million times, there's a $5,000 payout and 4,800 of that go to the copyright of the recording owner, which is either the label or whoever owns that master. And $200 will go to the publisher and all the songwriters. So, it's just nearly impossible to make a living as a songwriter right now, unless you are in the top 5% who are writing the huge, huge hits, which are not only being streamed, but are also being played on regular terrestrial radio. Terrestrial radio, that's you know your Kiss FM, your K-Rock, that you listen to in your car. That still pays out on a hit but all that's going away. We're going to be completely living in a streaming universe. I was going to say a total digital kind of world, essentially. Right. Right. I mean, you could also make living if you're touring songwriter slash artist. I mean, not now during COVID, but that's another way. That's why so many artists want to tour and sell merchandise. But coming up as, I don't want to say just a songwriter because being a songwriter who can write songs that shift the universe or change the world in some way is a, is a remarkable thing to be, but to only be that and not produce, to not get paid as a producer, to not own the master, to not be touring. It's nearly impossible now. So I am so grateful for having come up at a time when all I had to be was a songwriter. All I had to be was all I ever wanted to be. I never wanted to produce tracks and own a label. And I could just wake up every day and write a song and I was happy. And I could earn a living, even if I didn't have hit songs, which I rarely did. But I I feel too, what you're saying too, in that time of growing up where there was no, you know, you weren't, well, let me check Instagram really quick and just see like what what's happening, right. what's trending. Do you? F- I feel like sometimes when you put the phone away, that's actually by far the best thing that you can do. Mm-hmm. And just like, 
instead just write and don't worry about like what's trending, what's right now. It's like write what you enjoy and write what you feel needs to be said because that's where most uh, authenticity I feel mm-hmm. comes out and yeah. not necessarily this pre necessarily sometimes like just a prepackaged, oh, this was done before. Right. I mean, when you look at it, I mean, I hope maybe you'll get a chance to read my book. I talk a lot about this. We're all following the trends and we're all following the algorithms. But when you look at who really broke, they weren't. Like when Lord broke, it was this new sound. She wasn't following something. She was really doing her own thing. When Adele broke, and these artists were huge, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess I'm saying two things. We need to follow algorithms, but... I think we need to find a way to consider algorithms, not be a slave to them, and still take a chance and honor what is unique about us. And even if we do that, statistically, it's still going to be, we're going to have a minute chance of breaking through. But if we do, we do so big And we do so with self-respect because we stay true to ourselves and maybe we last longer. I mean, there's so many artists out there following algorithms. I just, and they're doing great this year. I just wonder where they're going to be in five years. Mm. Whereas years ago, I mean, there are artists out there that were, that came out during an analog world that are still huge. You know, they didn't fall away in five years. Can we still have those kind of artists? Like we still have, and I don't want to say the Beatles because the Beatles are just a phenomenon, but take Stevie Wonder, you know, take um, who's touring, you know, there's take Elton John, take Bruce Springsteen. Okay. If those artists came out now, could they survive? Would they get signed? Could they survive? If they did, would they be around? I'm interested to see if Lady Gaga is still going to be as big as she is today in 10 years or Billie Eilish. And I love these gals, you know? Yeah. But the system is so different and there's so many and people's attention spans have shrunk because they're getting notifications from all of their technology. If you don't catch somebody's ear in the first five seconds of a song, and that's a lot, they're going to listen to something else. There's so much to listen to. Whereas introductions used to be a minute long before they even said a word. Yeah. So it's an interesting time. You know, it is. I, I feel like I'm being so negative. I'm not. I'm just no. being real. I I so enjoy doing what I'm doing. I, I recorded my first album for the first time in my life. It was the most fun I've had in years. Um, certainly, there's not going to be millions and millions of people hearing it. That's not what matters to me at this point in my life. I have a lot of positive energy and, and the glass is always half full, but I'm just talking reality here. And for young people who have the same dream as I did with the same passion and the same vision and the same belief, they should put one foot in front of the other and just do it. 
I think you're just observing it as how it's changed and how it affected you. And you're like, wow, you know, and now you're looking at young people maybe getting into it sometimes not thinking about the long-term thing, but just like the short-term gratification of like, I got to get that thing. I got to get that number one. And like your album that you put out, I did listen to because it's, you know, especially re reinterpretations of hits you've done. Like it's, it's interesting to me, like, uh, you know, what a girl once I remember. Can you describe what it was like writing that song? What was that like? What a girl wants? Yeah, I'm super interested. Because I know, remember that coming out. Right. Another day, another plan that I didn't have. You know, I went over to my friend Guy, Guy Roche, who I wrote with a lot back then. And I had a receipt or a napkin in my bottom of my jacket pocket. I scribbled something on it the day before about getting the nerve to move to Los Angeles from New York. And my boyfriend had been giving me a lot of space to try to, you know, to get here. And I finally did. And I had scribbled some thoughts down about that. And he was just playing something on the keyboard. And I thought, gosh, what that, those words I wrote down yesterday kind of would go nicely with this. What he's playing makes it a very positive, feel good, uplifting kind of song. And we just married them, you know, and we, I have to tell you, we must have sent that song out to 20 artists who all passed. Ron Fair heard it. He was working with Christina. You know, a lot of success is about the right song at the right time with the right artist, you know, and it couldn't have been in a better situation. When, when, when he told us about Christina, we we just like, yeah, oh yeah, you know, another musketeer, really? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I trusted Ron and I met yeah. Tina and she was adorable and she could really sing. And I thought, I don't know, this could work. So that is, you know, just how you're like, I scribbled this down. It was a thought I had. And it's like well, your, your other hit, like, bitch, you, you were, you know, I think I heard a little bit of the story and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. You were, you were like in a car and you were smoking and you were, <laughs> what was going through your head? And like this, there's a line that popped out to you. You're like, Oh right. my God, you know, that could be a I, song. Yeah. Well, and songwriters have to have their antennae up all the time. And when they think something, they have to be able to recognize. I mean, sometimes if I'm in the room with another person or two other people and we're all co-writing that day and they're talking or they have a conversation, sometimes the line or the first line doesn't even come from me. It comes from them, but I get the credit for recognizing it. I'm like, stop, slow down. What did you just say? And they go, what, what do you mean? I'm like, that thing you just said, that's it. It's it's half of being a good songwriter, I think, is just recognizing what would resonate. I was driving home from a session that night. I had been writing songs for 10 years. All of them were album cuts. I had never had a hit. It felt like everybody around me, all my colleagues were having these hit songs, and I just could not get arrested. And that, that was my thought. I stopped at a red light. I was on my way home. I was thinking about, I can't get a hit. And I thought, I hate the world today. You know, I just hate the world today. And I'm going home to my honey, who I moved to LA for, who I wrote What a Girl Wants About. 
And, oh, damn. and thank God he's going to understand this foul mood. And he loved me no matter what, even though sometimes I could be such a bitch. Like, I'm, and then I thought, oh my God, there it is. And I went home and I called Meredith, who I had met recently. And I knew we had a lot in common. And we knew both complicated and determined women. And I said, I have this idea. You need to come over tomorrow. And she did. And I told her and she said, I totally get it. It wasn't like I was putting words in her mouth because she knew what I was talking about. She had been, you know, trying to get a record deal for a long time as well. And she had the goods and it just was never the right time, right place. And that song was the ticket for both of us. You know, all these little bits, especially when you're like, when you hear a conversation, you're like, ho, 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 slow down. What you're saying right there, what'd you say? Uh, to me, you know, another person, we, we talked about her before recording, like Judy Stakey does that. I remember when I was at a retreat, I was saying something. She was like, what, 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 what'd you say? What was that? What was that phrase? Uh -huh. That thing? And it's just funny because I think... You know, as when we started, we talked about, you know, how music has changed and it's this, you know, algorithm and we're looking at our phones. I think it's because sometimes it's hard to miss those. I, you said your antennas have to be up. It's hard when the antenna is picking up so many different damn signals from anything that's trying to capture your attention. If it's your phone and meanwhile, these moments like a conversation or a thing that you see gets passed over that could have been a really killer song. Right. But you just totally fucking missed it because you were just like, oh, uh, I'm, oh, somebody posted something. Right. Interesting. Right. Well, and you're just missing you know, it. We can talk for hours about <laughs> pros and cons of social media, you know? Um, yeah. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a soul suck. It's a soul suck. It's also a very powerful tool for independent artists and writers who need to let people who are interested in what they're doing know what they're doing and that it's available and where to get it. So it's a powerful tool. Um, I How know do you balance that now? How do you yeah, personally I kind know. of... I struggle with it too. Yeah. I want to say, you know, you've got to close the laptop and walk away. But I find, especially during COVID, I just walk room to room with my phone in hand. I very rarely do not have it by my side. I don't know if it's because I'm waiting to get a message or I might want to send a message or mm -hmm. it might ring or, you know, it has a lot to do with, I need to record ideas when I have it. And maybe it's easier to have with me than a, than a pencil and paper. It might have something to do with, I have a daughter who lives 3000 miles away. And if she texts me, I want to get it immediately. I just know I didn't have my phone with me as much when I wasn't staying put so much in my home. I think, gosh, everything that was an issue is more of an issue now because of COVID, you know, and it's yeah. a time when we all should really be connecting and coming together and hugging each other. And it's the, it's the exact thing we cannot do right now. So I think it's, you know, really making us go inward and, think about what's important. I don't know what to tell you about that social media. I am, I am as much of a victim as ever, anybody else. I do know we just, what ideally what I would like to do is just tell myself, okay, you got two hours a day and then walk away. Two hours a day might seem like so much for, you know, sometimes I sit down on my computer in the morning, I'm there for five hours. <laughs> 
I'm also blogging. You know, I do a blog yeah. once a week. And if you like this conversation, you should tell your listeners to subscribe. It's on ShellyPiken.com. So we can check your music. They can order your book there. Lots of stuff. Right. And the weekly blog is a lot of fun. It's very cathartic. It's music centric. Sometimes it's not about music, but mostly it is. And, and I have some strong opinions and I enjoy the conversation. So, yeah. But I have enjoyed this because you've just been honest. I did, you know, not, not sugarcoating. And that's what I like about your songwriting. When I, when I, now that I've talked to you in, you know, well, virtually, I was going to say in person, but virtually <laughs> e-meeting you, it's real. It's not fake. Thank you. It's, it's like when I hear you, it's like, no, that comes through in your songwriting. And I think maybe sometimes that's what's missing in songs. And sometimes that's what is also lovely about songs because we hear it. And then suddenly that's that thing of like, oh, the person that they are in their song, that's who they are in real life. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I feel connected to them. There's, yeah. you know, tons of people where I've listened to their songs and I meet them and I'm like, oh, this is so refreshing. Yeah. Like, well, it's you're, a, it you're really an you. An extension of ourselves. Yeah. Right. Oh, but yeah. I love this and I would love to talk to you more again sometime on songwriting because I feel like there's, you've got a million probably cool stories. I do. <laughs> They are endless and they continue. Oh, but Get thank you. my book, Mike. You really yeah. need to read my book. If you're curious about the stuff, I think you'll like it. Oh, yeah. I, I am because I this has just been so much fun. I know you've got probably thousands in there. And you know what? You're, there's probably going to be a lot more. So there's probably going to be another book out. I don't I, I guarantee. <laughs> I tend to do things once. I tend to do things once and be done and then say, what's next? You know, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And I, and some, you know, uh, my editor will say to me, what, you know, you got to write another book. And I didn't sit down to write this book because I wanted to write a book. You know, I mm -hmm. sat down because I had stories to tell. I didn't even realize it was going to be a book and it sort of took on this life of its own and then revealed that it's too, it, it was revealing that it could be this emotional arc of a story. It's not a how-to book. It's really an emotional arc of a songwriter who survived over, you know, three decades and counting. Yeah. Um, so if I ever write another one, it'll be because it taps me on the shoulder or it just grows organically. But I don't think I'd ever say, oh, I need to. What am I, what is it going to be about? You know? Yeah. Oh. How I live my life. I think you're, you're just, you're doing the thing that you feel called to and the thing you enjoy. And if it's yeah. not in there, it's like, eh, there's no point. Yeah, I agree. I love but, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shelly, thank you so much for hanging out with me. Well, just chatting. Well, for finding me. I love it. I, and you know, the, you know, when I told Judy and Judy was like, oh, she's amazing. <laughs> and I'm like, she is. <laughs> Where are you, Mike? I live in Pittsburgh. So oh, I'm right okay. in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Beauty um, too. You're, found, you're finding the right people. Yeah, but uh, I, I love this and thank you so much. My pleasure. You stay well and stay in touch. Now, one of the first times I heard Shelly speak, she said, if you're going to be a songwriter, you have to love it. It has to become a discipline. You need to sit down and you need to write every day. And I couldn't agree more with that. It's true when it comes to guitar. If this is a thing that you're using to communicate your songwriting, you need to focus. You need to focus on the craft of guitar because if that is your main way of communicating songwriting, you need to understand 
voicings. This is one thing that I talk about over and over because it's crucial. It is so crucial. If you want to adopt different flavors, different melodic possibilities, if you want things to sound sometimes commercially viable and not dated, you need to understand voicings. And that's why I created the Songwriting Guitarist Quick Start Guide. If you just go to songwritingforguitar.com, main homepage, you click the button, download Quick Start Guide, you're going to get access to it ASAP. You can start throwing in your songs and start using it because the best practice is implementation. It's one thing reading about it. It's another thing doing it because guess what? You can write kick-ass songs. That does it for this week's episode. It was edited and produced by Chris Fafalius. I'm Mike Myers. Until next time.